So we're trying to get ahead of everything and trying to figure out how to uh, make the students succeed and, and work um, with, with the university. Welcome to Focus, a podcast dedicated to the business of higher education. I'm your host, Heather Richmond, and we will be exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's higher learning institutions. Join me as I talk with Valerie Van Black, treasurer at Texas State University, about some positive outcomes she's seen since COVID-19, including creating a virtual one-stop shop for students, as well as how data has helped her make decisions to serve both students and the business. Thanks so much, Valerie, for taking time out of your busy schedule right now to give us an update. No problem. Awesome. Well, I know besides being very instrumental on our client advisory board, you are also part of the Treasury Institute. Can you tell us a little bit about your role there? Sure. Um, well, I served on the program committee for a couple of years, and I've always gone to the conferences. So um, the past two years, I've been the program uh, chair of the Treasury Institute for Higher Education for the Treasury Symposium. Our mission basically is to enhance the Treasury operations and really to educate um, the professional and career development. You know, it, it's mainly for the mid and senior level treasury managers of colleges and universities. And they really focus on uh, leading uh, treasury management issues as well. So I'm instrumental along with uh, my program committee because without them, I, I couldn't do anything. Right. And uh, we put together the Treasury Symposium, which will actually be virtual this year. And it's the end of January. Yeah, well, I bet there's a lot to talk about come January, isn't there? There is. We're uh, we're pivoting a lot on our on our ideas for the conference already. So, well, I know that you were also very instrumental in our panel discussion earlier this year around business continuity during a pandemic, which that actually feels like it was years ago versus months ago now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I thought you could maybe just give us an update on what's different or what's changed uh, at Texas State, and you know what's maybe some of the unexpected outcomes from this. Sure. Well, first of all, we really thought that we were going to be face-to-face -face, uh, on July 6th, which for our summer two courses. Um, unfortunately, the, uh, the pandemic has hit Texas pretty hard, right. and the decision was made close to the beginning of the, of the second semester of summer that we were going to go to fully online. So uh, we, as Student Business Services, um, needed a pivot quite quickly um, uh, and change. Uh, we have a different billing structure if you're online versus on campus. And so uh, we had to kind of change everything uh, to, to accommodate for that. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but really what we've done a lot is kind of we are becoming the source of data and we're mon basically monitoring a ton of things, uh, more so than I think we ever had before. You know, we're monitoring collections, enrollment, um, the number of students signing up, classes moving online, like I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all, like I said, it's always things that we monitored before, but now they have a, a very big impact. Um, and so we're trying to get ahead of everything and trying to figure out how to uh, make the students succeed and and work with with the university. Um, we've done a lot of things and we've um, looked at a lot of our policies and procedures mm -hmm. and changed 
some, uh, updated some. One thing that we did is we adjusted our collections um, tolerances. So before, if you owed less than $250 or more than $250, you couldn't register for classes. Well, we knew things were going to be tough for students, so we said, if you owe less than $3,000, we will work with you and we'll let you register. And then we worked with them all summer. We elongated. Our due date still was the same, but mm -hmm. we didn't charge late charges for another three months. So we, we really understood the, what the student's financial uh, stress was going through and try to work with them as well as support the university in the process. Yeah, that's great. We hear that a lot of the different kind of billing cycles and late fees on there. So so that's good that you were able to jump on that and see it. Right. And then, you know, another thing we did, obviously, um, during this whole COVID uh, situation is we really thought we were going to come back to campus coming uh, on uh, the second part of summer. Uh, but the decision is still to not even bring employees back uh, unless they need to be on campus. Um, even even now in in uh, August, we basically worked on a, a lot of uh, provisioning for the staff, allowing them capabilities to work from home, and then also making sure that our stu students were serviced. One thing that we had happened is we we created an A and B team because we obviously have to be at the cashier's office to accept payments, and to we do all the departmental payments for uh, everybody on campus. Okay. So uh, we had to physically be in the office. We tried to limit the number of people in the office. Uh, so we created an A and B team. And so um, the A and B team would only work on the uh, opposite days so that they were always working with the same people. Hmm. However, we did have a scare because the employees thought that she may have contracted COVID. Mm -hmm. And she had come in one day and with the A team and one day with the B team, so um, due to scheduling changes. Okay. And so our whole office was kind of quarantined for about 10 days while they were waiting for their test results. Fortunately, everybody seemed fine, but it was it was a scare, and it really drilled home that we really need to be very specific on our A and B teams. Yeah, I can see that. And it makes sense to, I, I like that concept of A and B team. So you kind of have enough of diversity within that group that you can handle all the student needs and questions and billing, but then you also have the same group working together each time. In terms of the data that you, that you were collecting and kind of starting to look at more, I know that uh, data has always been important, uh, but but certainly having that visibility to help make those decisions, uh, again, for your business and also serving your students. So as you're planning for people to come back to campus, are you tracking or using data differently to determine the kind of movement and in, in, in activity in general across campus? Um, so I know that we have an entire group of people that are doing uh, contact tracing in case there is a situation on campus. And we're not really a part of that, but we are working with um, uh, kind of the other side of thing. Professors um, are submitting uh, requests to move from online, uh, from in-person to online. Okay. And so, uh, for various reasons, um, ADA or, uh, or, or or other reasons. 
And then we also have some students that just didn't feel comfortable coming back, and so they are also looking for some online, uh, online classes as well. Um, so we're really working with our institutional research group and crunching the data in different ways and, and really monitoring how that shift is happening because we need to know, we need to make sure that there's enough courses available to each group that wants to be back or wants to do it online. And I, I think I said this before, but if I didn't, um, we charge different for online versus in person. So we had to figure out how we could adjust, how we have to adjust the bills and what was equitable to the majority of the students. We basically made a decision uh, just recently to say that if a student has at least one face-to-face -face course, then they will not be charged the online fees. Um, because a lot of students were um, were shifting, they had a little bit of both, so they were paying um, additional fees. Oh, okay. And we knew that that wasn't uh, a good practice, and it wasn't um, helpful for the majority of the the students. So, you know, again, we we've tried to uh, accommodate the students, but if we didn't watch the data, that would not be able to be done. Yeah, that's really interesting. Did you, just curious, did you happen to see a shift of those that were in that hybrid model decide to go 100% online or was it still kind of a, a little bit of a mix? I, I think it's, you know, for the, the health and safety reasons of our students, that's the most important thing that we need to, to watch. Um, and we wanted people that feel comfortable coming back. So um, I think that's a mix. I mean, some students are kind of, um, their their course is shifting without them asking for it, and some students are looking for courses that are only in that. So I think we have a, a, a good mix of students, and we're just trying to, to nail that down for, for fall. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can provide the, the best uh, service and, and, uh, and student experience um, that we could possibly do for fall. And then, you know, some of the other things that we did with our data is that over the summer, like I said, we, uh, we shifted to uh, all online, which we had never done before. Yeah. And so, uh, again, it's new territory for everybody. And one of my staff members noticed that we were still charging lab fees. And the lab fees basically are charged, you know, for, for basically for usage. And so we realized that was the case. We didn't even have a student complaint. We were just proactive in that measure, and we removed all the lab fees. You know, it, granted, it was between $5 and $20, but again, it's using the data and understanding uh, what we should do and what's right for the student, and, and then just being proactive before instead of reactive on it. Yeah, you really, this is the time to, to really reevaluate every, re everything, right? And think about some of those fees that are just kind of typical and standard and then think, oh, gosh, this doesn't apply anymore. <laughs> this probably shouldn't be charged for online classes. Right, right. And then, you know, and then the, the one other thing that I kind of want to stress, you know, for, for us and I'm sure with every university uh, in the country is that we're, we need to stay student-centric, mm -hmm. you know, with all the pandemic and all the the hype um, around will, will classes be online, will camp, campus classes be in person, um, will the schools be able to maintain and be open? You know, I, I think that we we have to make sure that we're we're focusing on the student, 
but also looking at the data to understand what it really means um, mm -hmm. and not just looking at the data and, and crunching the numbers. We need to listen to the students and, um, and get ahead of if of their needs, uh, of their complaints if they had any. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've already started, you know, some some processes to help and, and really helping the student with that experience. And so speaking of students uh, and needing help, and then obviously you have in your A and B team, so you have limited staff there on campus, you know, what does the preparation plan look like for back to campus and, and really being able to help the students? Uh, well, the, the first thing is um, we have made the decision and I know a lot of universities have done this in the past, but we have made the decision to go camp cashless, at least at our student business services office, which is going to be a, a big change to the students. So we did a lot of uh, legwork to see, you know, where they could get a money order if, if they needed to have one. Mm -hmm. um, and for our new student orientation, um, we did a video that showed the students um, all the ways to pay so that they can watch it you know, when they're trying to go pay as well, uh, all of our new student orientation went online. So it was it was a good way to, to communicate with the students and um, and really have their their focus on that one module, which is the student business services module, which is really the TouchNet product. Yeah. So uh, so basically, we we wanted um, we wanted to focus first. Well, and we've been asking this for a while, is why are the students coming into the Student Business Services Office? How, to, how can we help them without them needing to come in? And this was pre-pandemic, um, pre-COVID. Uh -huh. And, you know, so we've always been kind of working on it. Um, so how can we service them? So, you know, we really uh, have been promoting already, but really stepped up our game and started talking about signing up for a direct deposit of financial aid. Um, we will not have um, checks being handed out at the Student Business Services Office. If they don't check, sign up for financial aid, then it'll be mailed to them. And just trying to stress to them that, you know, don't, don't worry about the delay of the mail and make sure that, you know, we're mailing it to the, to the not the permanent address where you don't have access to it. Uh, but really, basically, uh, signing up for direct deposit. Um, and then, again, um, paying via TouchNet. And I think the, uh, the, the uh, web module that we have will really help them a lot. Um, you know, again, the, the tutorials, we've always had them before, so there's that as well. And then we've, we have a lot, uh, Dropbox, which is outside of our office. And we're promoting a lot of people to just drop what they need to do, whether it's paperwork or checks, into the Dropbox. And then if they really did need to speak to somebody face-to-face, -face, we're, we're allowing them to schedule uh, a time where we can meet face-to-face. -face. Um, but we have provisions like, you know, we could use Teams. Uh, we can share screens when we're using Teams, so that should help the student a lot too. And um, again, if they really need to speak to us, we can schedule an appointment and, and get them in. Um, one thing that you know we we really are focusing on also is how we interact with other departments because financial aid office, our office, and registrar's office um, consistently have students going between them for for various reasons. Right. 
So um, we really try to work with the other departments to make sure we're just not sending the students down and in, in waiting in another social distance line yeah. um, and, and really trying to help the students 100%. Um, we were talking about for the past year or so about a one-stop shop. We had never put one in. Uh, but we're we're looking at this as a virtual one-stop shop where mm -hmm. one department can kind of help the student navigate through all the different processes. So um, the student, you know, exposure um, is not there, and we can really help the student, you know, through the whole process. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I know that the one-stop shop concept was certainly something big on a lot of campuses, but it was really about that physical location. And just like you said, instead of going from line to line or building to building to be able to come to one central place. However, that place has really transitioned. So I really like that concept of a virtual one-stop shop. And it sounds like that probably is more the future. And so can you talk a little bit about how you see that the one-stop shop transitioning to being virtual? Yeah, so one of the barriers that we had um, while we were looking at this whole one-stop shop is where we're going to put it. There was yeah. no really good room on campus in a lot of universities. I know built these wonderful one-stop shop buildings that serve, service the school students, but our administrative building is on the exterior of campus, and there's very limited parking. So. In order for a student to even interact with us, it, it's kind of, um, they, they really have to, it's walkable, don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. it's still not um, at the student center, which is kind of the, the center of, of, our, of our campus, which would ideally be the place to put the one-stop shop. And so the other kind of hindrance was the amount of money it would cost to build the building if room was available. We're kind of landlocked here. Uh, so we were kind of working through that, and then you know how how to how to manage it if it's um, if it's in another location than our administrative offices. And so virtually, we can. It doesn't matter where we are. I can right. have students. I, I have. I can have students contacting people, and the people could be at home, and they wouldn't know the difference. So I think that you know, I think it, it's opened our eyes and to see what we really can do. Uh, to help service the student because we really like the idea of a one-stop shop. It was just all those other things, that, the other hurdles we had to get over. And, and I think that that's the wave of the future right now because the students still don't want to come in. They, they would like to do everything um, electronically. Right. And, and again, the point really is not the physical location, but it's what does the student need and help with that you can help service, right? Right, right. I mean, the ultimate goal is how to how to get the student through the the process. And um, although you know the beautiful beautiful buildings are very uh, welcoming, I, I think that we could do this with minimal cost and really help the student experience. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this really goes to. What we're starting to see, and, and we've been talking about this contactless campus, and so how do we ensure that you don't have these lines of students anymore, and you know maybe some of the virtual queuing, and I, I know you've thought a little bit about that. Can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking about reducing the physical lines if they are there? Yeah, so we looked at some uh, some products. Um, we, we hadn't really, you know, um, earlier in the semester, uh, we started looking at some queuing products, uh, but... Uh, we, uh, we implemented a software uh, system for our, our phone system, um, 
And uh, what we didn't have originally when we first went to uh, work from home is we didn't have a way for the queuing of our phone system to reach the people that were uh, working from home. And so we worked with our IT department who manages the, uh, the telephone system. And we were able to purchase a product that we ended up purchasing. They're not exactly phone numbers, just contact points, I guess. Yeah. So, um, so what happens is if a student calls into the main line now, it, it, it just cues them to whomever is on the, 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 the uh, software, the computer mm -hmm. system. And so it really helps um, kind of cue everybody up and have them off campus. So, you know, but again, we're, we're trying to manage so that people aren't calling us and what other ways can we queue them up. Um, we looked at queuing software for, uh, for time slots for students, um, but we really hadn't pulled the trigger because we, we really don't know what file is going to look like. Right. And, you know, again, a lot of schools are going to have to figure all of this out, especially, you know, from a staffing perspective and working remotely. And especially since this wasn't just a temporary remote work situation, but it sounds like it's going to be ongoing for some time and things like phone systems and where do you call and where do you, you know, how do you get back to somebody? How does that all work? So past kind of that initial emergency response, what else have you have you seen changing? Again, it's, it's evaluating all of our processes, especially uh, anything that was done in a paper environment. Mm -hmm. um, we had done a lot of preparation before for, um, you know, for cash management, such as like remote deposit, capture, um, and, and how to uh, get people more online. So uh, we were able to put a bunch of those things in pretty quickly. Um, but and in change some forms that we used to be receiving in our office to electronic forms. Um, but one of the really things that we're, we're we changed a lot. Again, I said that we were um, kind of focusing on data. Is we really started working, and, and this is more of the treasury function. But it, my students, business services staff was instrumental in this as well is um, we were starting to, to look at um, how is our cash flow and our liquidity? Um, what, what, how is this going to impact that? So we worked heavily with the budget office and um, monitored you know, liquidity. Um, we, uh, we assessed, like I said, we assessed late fees. Mm -hmm. um, we changed some of uh, the the payment plans, um, going it from three installments to four installments to help the students, um, and um, just really overall listening to the student and seeing what other universities are doing and, and how to get out of the uh, the paper process. Yeah, it's amazing how many paper processes still exist, isn't it? Yeah, we're finding some that we didn't even realize existed, but we're we're changing them as it as we go. Yeah, and it's interesting that that kind of reminds me too. We were just having a conversation and in, uh, internally and said 
talking about processes and not just paper processes, but also how many processes are via email. And anytime there's an email process, that's also an opportunity to think about how to use technology different or how to use the data that you collect a little bit differently too, right? Right. And, and I just think, you know, even having uh, having TouchNet in there, their forward thinking um, features that, um, you know, it's really helped us grow and, and be able to handle this, um, you know, this pandemic as, as it is. And hopefully we'll get through this and um, it, it'll be great for everybody in a sh few short weeks. That is great. Thank you so much for all your insights today, Valerie. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Focus. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the business of higher education. For more information, check us out at touchnet.com.